Today on This Week Health. What the past 24 months have done is really shine a bright, bright spotlight on the value proposition of information technology and not just being a transaction-based organization, keep the lights on, make sure claims go through, make sure there's a medical record, but really how do I drive the business and how do I reinvent the business on a dime and react quickly to changing conditions every day on the front lines. Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. I want to welcome everybody. I'm excited to have Aaron Meary as our guest this week. Aaron is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Baptist Health Jacksonville in Jacksonville, Florida. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. Good to always seeing you, at, especially at Sister Institution with Baptist Health Kentucky. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, which we probably should say we have no... Uh, yeah, there's no affiliation. or organizational relationship other than the name. Yeah, besides being really guided by a principle, a guiding principle, which is phenomenal, something bigger than what you are, and it really is a good true north. I think that's what orients good organizations is belief in that and true mission resounding efforts around those some things. That very well said, and I shouldn't have been so flippant with the name because you're right, there, there are some uh, guiding principles that are, are key to our organizations. Well, let's just jump right in. What I want to know from you, we're friends, but if I had a chance to sit down with you and talk would be... Technology-wise, what's getting you excited right now? I mean, we've just come out of, or hopefully coming out of COVID and some more difficult times, and, and I'm excited to bring my colleagues and, and my organization new technologies that will help. So maybe talk about things that you you guys maybe are implementing now and some things that are on the horizon that you see that really get you excited. Yeah, it's a super exciting time, Brett. And, and I think, especially in healthcare IT, what the past 24 months have done is really shine a bright, bright spotlight on the value proposition of information technology and not just being a transaction-based organization, keep the lights on, make sure claims go through, make sure there's a medical record, but really how do I drive the business and how do I reinvent the business on a dime and react quickly to changing conditions every day on the front lines that you know you and your colleagues are, are suiting up in N95 masks and going there and intubating and doing the things you gotta do so how do we, how do we as technologists, as digital nativists help, right? Putting solutions out there that make sense and then transact the business in a safe, secure, friendly manner. And so a few things that we're doing and a few things I'm contemplating. So a few things that we're doing, number one, everybody is doing retail medicine. I'm actually tired of the terminology because it's actually part and parcel for what's expected now by the consumers, which is a low friction, high touch, I feel valued and secure, relationship with my primary care provider or my specialist provider as a patient, right? So how do I not just feel like one of a million, but I feel special that this pizza was made just for Aaron, right? That is important. And so that takes every bit of consumer relationship management technique and thoughtfulness and process and partnership with marketing that perhaps wasn't existent before. Number two, Blocking and tackling. How many organizations did we see over the past 24 months that could not pivot to a full telehealth model, that didn't have the capabilities from a data analytics perspective to be able to manage the workforce effectively remotely, and therefore they shuttered their windows or, and their doors? Look at how many rural hospitals closed in the past 24 months. So end of the day, 
making sure you block and tackle and you have the infrastructure and availability and resiliency baked into your system is no longer a nice to have, but a must have. And boards of directors are smart enough to know quickly that if we can't pivot and go, there's no way this organization will make it in the future. Then third is a focus on leadership and talent development, not just back office business folks, physician talent development, nursing talent development, investing in your people and growing them. I think we always knew the byproduct of one of the most important aspects of your entire organization as people, and you can say it cliche to like, till the cows come home, but the reality is unless you put your money where your mouth, you're investing in them, you're bringing in new talent, training your existing talent on new skill sets, so they don't become obsolete. What kind of business are you? And workers are wisening up and going to those businesses like that. So if you look at three dimensions with Baptist Jacksonville is really double clicking and focusing on it's those three dimensions on top of the big rocks that we have to do. We just opened up our new pediatric children's tower, all NICU, PICU, private rooms, state-of-the-art technology. We go live with a new EMR this July and a brand new, another hospital yet again for our fleet starting in December of this year. So it's not like there's anything not to all? do, right? Is yeah, we're just hanging out on the beach as much as you would think in Florida, we could do that. We could today. But the reality is there's a lot of good work going on. On a future perspective, what am I watching? I really am watching where does blockchain actually go? I've always believed that an immutable stack is probably the key to actually doing distributed identity at the edge, the way we've always wanted to, to be able to tell that this patient really is patient Aaron. I don't have a relationship with him, but he needs to get his COVID-19 vaccine shot. And I need to know that it really was him that needs it for the first time or whatever it may be. We can't do that today, right? With the absence of a unique patient identifier that's forbidden by law. Therefore, we've always kind of winged it in healthcare, which leads to a lot of errors and a lot of issues. That's just the reality of it. I'm also watching closely autonomous delivery, right? We are investing in robots for our hospitals to automate a lot of nursing tasks right this very moment. We're looking at the same thing for drone delivery. I know a lot of health systems, especially on the East Coast, have gone that route for very low uh, utilization, high cost drugs to make sure it's securely shipped in a very timely from being basically created uh, or compounded and then sent to you know, the site that needs it. So it's almost like a pneumatic tube of the 1980s. So I think, I think autonomous delivery will help alleviate a lot of burden on our workforce. And then last but not least, really looking at ambient analytics, meaning what are you doing? What are you saying? How are you interacting with a computer any given day? If you look at the behavior path, the way folks engage with technology, you can pick up trends. And so if suddenly Aaron comes in in the morning and is on Google looking for signs of self-depression. Do I need to intervene with a patient reported outcome and help him out before there's a potential worst case scenario as an employee? Maybe. So how can we take these analytics that we're starting to see in our workforce, particularly when they're remote, and ensure that we always have their back? right? Not where you're being creepy and spying on them, but you're truly there to help them in their mental well-being, which is now emerging. And I wish it always had as one of the worst plagues affecting all of human history and humankind, which is mental illness. How do we help people when they need it before they even need it? So a lot of these trends, I said getting smarter, not, not just adding more tech to add tech, but actually talking about these things, having these conversations. I think we've opened up the doors to this just because of what's happened. And now there's an awareness and visibility to it all the way up to the board. That's fantastic. I mean, it gets me so excited to be able to help my colleagues that are on the front line and see things differently. I'd like to back up a bit because this chief digital officer role for you, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a new piece to your mm -hmm. job where, where you came from before you were the CIO. Now it's this dual role. And so one of the questions 
or one of the challenges that we often have is with a new technology, a new application, whatever it might be. Guess what? Today, patients were seen, they were taken care of, and as a clinician, I got through my day. But you know, with a different technology, different application, whatever it might be, I could make it your job better, easier, more, whatever it might be, give you more time. What approach do you take? Does the chief digital officer role play into this? How do you approach that with your clinicians, with your nurses? Maybe it's even a back office accountants to get them to change a workflow with a new technology that you're convinced will make a difference for them. Well, something that I appreciate about clinicians, and I, and I learned this in many, many, many years of watching my mother as a NICU nurse and uh, stories that she would tell me as a kid coming home and how frustrated she was that something didn't work. Now, back then, technology wasn't as today what it is today. We're talking about a telephone not ringing or a light box not turning on to see an x-ray. But to the reality of it, technology has to work, right? So before I can go talk about a net new whiz-bang pair of socks we can go buy and put on and stay warmer longer, if what you have currently in hand doesn't transact, how in the world am I going to expect you as a clinician to trust me, right? So number one is, do we do what we're supposed to do well? Do we actually do it well, right? So making sure that we are transacting in the today's world as well as we possibly can and what their gaps on, do we all agree on what that gap is? It is so easy for us to say, we'll just go spend another 250, $300 million and put in a new electronic medical record. Yeah, those days are basically over. We're not spending that kind of money anymore in healthcare. And for those who are or are going through that process right now, it's probably the last tranche of a giant electronic medical record change or something like that for a long, long, long time. So the reality is what you're putting in place now are either homegrown created solutions, right? So you have some sort of DevOps development team, or you are enhancing an existing workflow with an order set or some sort of standing order or something that is really meaningful to the clinicians. But the key to all of that is what I just said, meaningful. The only way I'm going to know if this affects Dr. Oliver in the course of care is to shadow you and say, Dr. Oliver, did this actually make a difference for you? Does having ambient listening microphones baked into a, your primary care office allow you not to dictate as much? Sure. So now voice dictation to you becomes relevant and meaningful because it saved you 30 minutes of time, an hour of time, whatever, which you don't not getting any more of every right. second saved for you matters. So to the degree of it, what you're seeing is a level of intelligence and hyper-awareness that healthcare IT organizations maybe historically hadn't had to have because we were slamming in giant multi-million dollar systems and that was the focus. Now it's about getting smarter and hospital boards don't want to see you spending that kind of money without a very clear defined ROI and more importantly, that the patients and physicians that are utilizing this actually are happy because otherwise it's just a waste. Did you find if your organization was well prepared for COVID, I don't know that any of us could have been well prepared, perhaps that's not the right word, but you were able to pivot, say, to to video visits and things easily without using a third party vendor. Do you find that the clinician's experience was good? And in the end, that's going to be a positive to what you were speaking of, the trust factor, like, wow, they handled that. They got that rolled up, stood up in three days. And while it wasn't perfect, it was great to help me care for my patient. Do you think COVID has helped that or, or hurt it? or dependent upon your organization? So I think it's all the above, be very honest with you. I think it's helped it in that it brought awareness of the importance that telehealth and telemedicine can be to an organization, both from a sustainability perspective, as well as a clinical caregiving. A lot of physicians particularly had reservations before COVID about the efficacy of telemedicine. Like how well can I really diagnose Aaron and how well can I expect Aaron to actually get if I never see him face to face? Completely understandable, completely understandable. 
mindset of, let me just be safe and sorry, because I do believe clinicians go into this business because I truly want to help people. So, so to the degree of it, with that, that now relaxed, for lack of a better term, because of, of situational issues, right, COVID-19, and we could not see folks in person, even those that were reluctant suddenly got to experience consumer-based telemedicines or telehealth solutions and say, oh, this really is effortless. And wow, Aaron actually did get better. And I now have the data to show for that. And when he presents back to me in six to eight weeks and his knee really is getting better because like now I really can trust him to PT at home versus having to drive all the way in to do this, I now trust it. So I think it helped in that situation. It hurt because everybody started saying telehealth and telemedicine, every top technology company, even like Best Buy, which confused the whole organization and the whole industry as to what is actually telehealth and telemedicine. One of the things I do is teach the Chime CIO Bootcamp. And I actually specifically call out, like, stop saying these two terms interchangeably. They don't mean the same thing. (laughs) And it's interesting that folks really do think it's, it's that simple. And I wish it were. However, we have, being the healthcare industry, have made it so complex to transact care that some of these telehealth solutions, which can also do telemedicine, simply fall apart. They were never designed to do some of those robust remote patient analytics and monitoring and all continuous patient monitoring that now telehealth and thus telemedicine require. So what you're finding is a convergence in the industry of a lot of companies buying each other up. And what actually really is telehealth and telemedicine is very different than what it may have been in 2020 um, because people now have an awareness to it. So that's how it hurt. And then I would say, depending on organization, which is if you had the finances to dabble and try different solutions, you're in a much better position, but a lot of FQHCs or hospitals with basically no margin had to wing it, right? I'm not entirely sure, you know, what you look like now, if you never had the ability to sort of double down and say, I'm going to go in all in on this one tech, regardless of good or bad, and make it work for my workflows, because that's where it really hits the road, right? That's where it really happens is where is it in the course of care? Yeah, I see that a lot in the, in the affiliated independent practices that we have throughout our state. They took their meaningful use money. They were sold a bill of goods with a particular EMR, and now they're stuck. They don't have the margin to go out and replace right. it, whether it's for video visits or, or what have you, any kind of digital medicine. That's right. But look at what you guys did, right? Baptist Kentucky, very smart. You went after the, I believe it was the FCC grant money, right? You yep. guys were awarded a, a large sum of money to put in a new state-of-the-art telemedicine solution to serve the rural populations of Kentucky and really help those that were disenfranchised or dis- disadvantaged. That's a smart thing to do, right? So even organizations, you guys on high margins, but you you make enough to keep the doors open. You could invest in multiple technologies. You still did the right thing by trying to do what's right for the consumer, right for the patient and standardize, right? That's good leadership. That's that's being thoughtful and proactive and not just doing a scattershot approach. But for organizations who don't even have that ability to apply for those grants, I'm concerned because what, what does that look like? What does your experience look like in, in rural Florida? I mean, what does it look like, right? So. Right. I think it becomes more and more, that's just another tick in the box, uh, the, the column of how it's difficult to be in private practice in right. 2022. Right. Which is, which is sad, right? Because I believe in yeah. freedom of choice. I believe in freedom of business. I believe that you should not have some heady hand telling you thou shalt do this unless that's the life you choose to go into. Yeah. But the reality is so many independent offices and practices, it's so complex and so bureaucratic these days. I ran a solo office for a few years. I had a small private practice for a number of years, and it just became more and more difficult. I'm happy with the choice that I made, but I, to your point, it does sadden me that it's become very difficult to do it on your own. That's right. 
let's say you don't have internal resources at, at a Baptist to stand up some kind of video visit or asynchronous care or whatever it might be. And so you go to a vendor. And clearly, as we all know, probably anybody listening to this, the billions of dollars that are being invested by venture capital and, and others in different solutions. One of the things that troubles me or that concerns me at least in theory is we have spent all this time, meaningful use money, all the things that you and I talk about with interoperability to get the record together, to get it in one place, whether it be with the patient, be with the physician, we can have discussions about that as well. But I'm concerned we're going backwards with this because there's no motivation for some of these companies to get the information back to a central repository. Again, maybe it be a patient, maybe it be their primary care physician. I mean, we have an internal application that we're using for our employees that will go nameless that I'm like, how does the primary care physician know about that? And, and oh, you'll get a monthly report. It hasn't happened. So I'm concerned we've got all these silos of care after we just spent the last decade, decade and a half breaking down these silos, trying to get Tefka and things like that organized. Do you see that? Do you have conversations with startups and, and other companies along those lines? I'm just curious your thoughts on it. Great question, Brett. And very, very, very astute of you as always. You're exactly right. I, I agree with you. And I do feel like we're going backwards. And here's, here's why. It's not so much a technology challenge to make the technology talk to each other in plain English, as much as other competitive advantages in businesses and economies that have spun up that truly, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars, if not more, that's tough to walk away from. Example, de-identified data in bulk is big business, right? Tens of millions. Just look at the publicly filed AKs of various companies that are publicly traded that deal with healthcare data and how much they sell de-identified data, which is permissible under HIPAA, to That's big pharma. That's just part of their bottom line. You're asking these folks to give up tens of millions of dollars a quarter when they're beholden to shareholder value. I mean, that's it's an interesting conversation, right? So we're looking at it from the good of a complete intact medical record. What does that do for patient Aaron? What does it do for course of care? What does it do for Dr. Oliver providing care to Aaron? all those sorts of things, which are the right thing to do. But the reality is you just disrupted a, a multi-billion dollar organization and industry predicated on data silos and selling those silos for premium because I'm the only person you can get this claims data from or this 529 data from or whatever it may be. Okay, right? So that's one. Two is the landscape of these healthcare IT systems were never designed initially to transact with each other, right? We forced it with meaningful use, right? Which when we would view, download, transmit, simply became view and download, remember that? Because yeah. we are like, this is too difficult, right? Then VDT became a threshold of like 20% to like one, right? So, okay, like what, what are you gonna do with that? Right? So the reality is we have a very decentralized, again, I believe in individual choice, I believe in freedom of business, but when it comes to certain rules of the road, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot by upfront not saying like, look, we want you to drive wherever you want to, but the speed limit is the speed limit. Like you got to abide by the speed limit, but go to whatever road you want and drive. You want to drive to Alaska, go for it. But just don't go over 75 miles an hour. Like we never did that. We simply said, here's the road, go drive it or go create a road, right? And drive however fast you want. And now after the fact, we're trying to teach the world, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this is how we do this in the right way. It's never going to work, right? It's never going to work. So the reality is we have to get better and not go backwards and stop incentivizing bad behavior. Yeah, I, the complexity is well, how, do we, how do we make that happen? I, I shudder to thought of more regulations, quite frankly, but at some point there has to be some guidance there. 
if we're going to transform into a more value-based care nation, which at least where I am, we have some value-based care contracts, but it's still a fee-for-service world. Right. We have a lot of, you and I both have a lot of colleagues on a payer side that are brilliant, that are trying to transform the world. So it's not like, let's, let's blame the big bad payer or the no, big no, bad no. covered entity or the big bad government. The reality is it's the industry. This is the way the industry works. And so we get into this situation of folks wanting to finger point and say, well, it's a hospital's problem. It's they're the ones who do surprise billing. Actually, that's not how it works, right? And so those make great bylines for the newspapers. It doesn't actually help anybody in healthcare. And the reality is to your point, Brett, that the more we can surface as to what the realities are, I do believe various lawmakers, folks on the Hill, others are listening. We've done it in an industry, have done a terrible job of articulating in plain English. Here is the reality of what's broken. Like enough of the technical talk and APIs and HL7, like nobody cares. People care, did Dr. Oliver get Aaron's records from Texas when you're seeing me in Florida? That's what you care about. That's what actually matters. Not all this other stuff and making it work. Nobody cares how the road was made. Just make sure there's no potholes on it. Okay. So we have to get better about telling the stories, which is the value of the high tech and the other things that we do, because that's that conduit going back to industry. Well, Aaron, my friend, as always, love talking with you. I wish you were closer. I know Jacksonville's got themselves quite a blessing in, in your leadership down there. So I can visit sometimes, especially when you get out of the cold. You got it. You got it. We'll talk soon. I love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sears Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Keynote, Town Hall, Newsroom, and Academy. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now. <laughs>